Chapter Two of Rowdy of the Cross L by B. M. Bower. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Penn. Chapter Two Miss Conroy Refuses Shelter. The storm lifted suddenly, as storms have a way of doing, and a low, squat ranch house stood dimly revealed against the bleak expanse of wind tortured prairie. Rowdy gave an exultant little whoop and made for the gate, leaned and swung it open and rode through, dragging Chubb after him by main strength, as usual. When he turned to close the gate after Miss Conroy, he found her standing still in the lane. "'Come on in,' he called, with a trace of impatience, born of his weariness and hunger. "'Thank you, no,' Miss Conroy's voice was as crisply cold as the wind which fluttered the Navajo blanket around her face." i much prefer the blizzard for a moment rowdy found nothing to say he just stared miss conroy shifted uneasily in the saddle this is old bill brown's place she explained reluctantly he-i'd rather freeze than go in well i guess that won't be hard to do he retorted curtly if you stay out much longer the dog was growing hysterical over their presence and Bill Brown himself came out to see what it was all about. He could see two dim figures at the gate. Hello, he shouted. Why don't you come on in? What are you standing there chewing the rag for? Vaughn hesitated, his eyes upon Miss Conroy. Go in, she commanded imperiously, quite as if he were a refractory pupil. You're tired out and hungry. I'm neither. Besides, I know where I am now. I can find my way without any trouble. Go in, I tell you. But Rowdy stayed where he was, with the gate creaking to and fro between them. Dixie circled till his back was to the wind. I hope you don't think you're going to mill around out here alone, Rowdy said tartly. I can manage very well. I'm not lost now, I tell you. Rodway's is only three miles from here, and I know the direction. Bill Brown waded out to them, wondering what weighty discussion was keeping them there in the cold. Vaughn he passed by with the cursory glance of a disinterested stranger, and went on to where Miss Conroy waited stubbornly in the lane. "'Oh, it's you,' he said grimly. "'Well, come in and thaw out. I hope you didn't think you wouldn't be welcome. You knew better. You got lost, I reckon. Come on.' Miss Conroy struck Badger sharply across the flank and disappeared into the night. "'When I ask shelter of you,' she flung back, "'you'll know it.' Rowdy started after and met Bill Brown squarely in the gate. Bill eyed him sharply. "'Say, young fellow, how'd you come by that pack-horse?' he demanded, as Chubb brushed past him. "'None of your damn business,' snapped Rowdy, and drove the spurs into Dixie's ribs." But Chubb was a handicap at any time. Now, when he was tired, there was no getting anything like speed out of him. He clung to a shuffling trot, which was really no better than a walk. After five minutes spent alternately in spurring Dixie and yanking at Chubb's lead rope, Rowdy grew frightened and took to shouting. While they were in the lane, Miss Conroy must perforce ride straight ahead. But the lane would not last always. As though with malicious intent, 
the snow swooped down again and the world became an unreal nightmare world wherein was nothing save shifting blinding snow flurry and wind and bitter numbing cold rowdy stood in his stirrups cupped his chilled fingers around his numbed lips and sent a long drawn whoo-wee shrilling weirdly into the night it seemed to him after long listening that from the right came faint reply and he turned and rode recklessly swearing at chub for his slowness he called again and the answer though faint was unmistakable he settled heavily into the saddle too weak from sheer relief to call again he had not known until then just how frightened he had been and he was somewhat disconcerted at the discovery in a minute the reaction passed and he shouted a loud hello hello came the voice of miss conroy tantalizingly calm and as superior as the greeting of central were you looking for me mr vaughan she was close to him so close that she had not needed to raise her voice perceptibly rowdy rode up alongside remembering uncomfortably his prolonged shouting i sure was he admitted and then you rode off with my blanket on he was very proud of his matter-of-fact tone oh miss conroy was almost deceived and a bit disappointed i'll give it to you now and you can go back if you know the way no hurry said rowdy politely i'll go on and see if you can find a place that looks good to you you seem pretty particular miss conroy may have blushed in the shelter of the blanket i suppose it did look strange to you she confessed but defiantly bill brown is an enemy to harry he because he lost a horse or two out of a field one time he he actually accused harry of taking them he lied of course and nobody believed him nobody could believe a thing like that about harry it was perfectly absurd but he did his best to hurt harry's name and i would rather freeze than ask shelter of him wouldn't you in my place i mean i always stand up for my friends evaded rowdy and if i had a brother of course you'd be loyal approved miss conroy warmly but i didn't want you to come on it isn't your quarrel and i know the way now you needn't have come any further you forgot the blanket rowdy reminded wickedly i think a lot of that navajo you insisted upon my taking it she retorted and took refuge in silence for a long hour they plodded blindly rowdy beat his hands often about his body to start the blood and meditated yearningly upon his hot coffee and the things he liked best to eat also a good long pull at a flask wouldn't be bad either he thought and he hoped this little schoolmom knew where she was going truth to tell he doubted it after a while it seemed that miss conroy doubted it also she took to leaning forward and straining her eyes to see through the gray wall before there should be a gate here she said dubiously at last it seems to me rowdy ventured mildly if there were a gate it would have some kind of fence hitched to it wouldn't it miss conroy was in no mood for facetiousness and refused to answer his question i surely can't have made a mistake she observed uneasily it'd be a wonder if you didn't such a night as this he consoled 
I wouldn't bank on traveling straight myself, even if I knew the country, which I don't. And I've been in more blizzards than I'm years old. Rodway's place can't be far away, she said, brightening. It may be further to the east. Shall we try that way? If you know which is east. Sure, we'll try. It's all we can do. My pack horse is about all in, from the way he hangs back. If we don't strike something pretty soon, I'll have to turn him loose. Oh, don't do that, she begged. It would be too cruel. We're sure to reach Rodway's very soon. More plodding through drifts high and drifts low. More leaning from saddles to search anxiously for trace of something besides snow and wind and biting cold. Then, far to the right, a yellow eye glowed briefly when the storm paused to take breath. Miss Conroy gave a glad little cry and turned Badger sharply. Did you see? It was the light from a window. We were going the wrong way. I'm sure that's Rodway's. Rowdy thanked the Lord and followed her. They came up against a fence, found a gate, and passed through. While they hurried toward it, the light winked welcome. As they drew near, someone stirred the fire and sent sparks and rose-hued smoke rushing up into the smother of snow. Rowdy watched them wistfully and wondered if there would be supper and strong hot coffee. He lifted Miss Conroy out of the saddle, carried her two long strides, and deposited her upon the doorstep, rapped imperatively, and when a voice replied, lifted the latch and pushed her in before him. For a moment they stood blinking just within the door. The change from numbing cold and darkness to the light of the overheated room was stupefying. Then Miss Conroy went over and held her little gloved hands to the heat of the stove, but she did not take the chair which someone pushed toward her. She stood, the blanket shrouding her face and her slim young figure, and looked about her curiously. It was not Rodway's house after all. She thought she knew what place it was, the shack where Rodway's hay balers batched. From the first, Rowdy did not like the look of things, though for himself it did not matter. He was used to such scenes. It was the presence of the girl which made him uncomfortable. He unbuttoned his coat that the warmth might reach his chilled body, and frowned. Four men sat around a small, dirty table. Evidently the arrivals had interrupted an exciting game of seven-up. A glance told Rowdy, even if his nose had not, that the four round-ribbed bottles had not been nearly emptied without effect. "'I'm one on the house,' the man nearest him cried, and shoved the bottle towards him. Involuntarily, Rowdy reached for it. Now that he was inside, he realized all at once how weary he was, and cold and hungry. Each abused muscle and nerve seemed to have a distinct grievance against him. His fingers closed around the bottle before he remembered and dropped it. He looked up, hoping Miss Conroy had not observed the action, met her wide, questioning eyes, and the blood flew guiltily to his cheeks. "'Thanks, boys. Not any for me,' he said, and apologized to Miss Conroy with his eyes. The man rose and confronted him unsteadily. That's a hell of a way. You too proud to drink with us? You drink now. My gar, I'll make you drink. Rowdy's eyelids drooped, which was a bad sign for those who knew him. You're forgetting there's a lady present, he reminded warningly. The man turned a brief, contemptuous glance towards the stove. 
You got that damn queer way to talk. I don't call no squaw no lady. You drink quick now. Ah, oh, shut up, Frenchy, the man at his elbow abjured him. He don't have to drink if he don't want to. You keep the face close, the other retorted majestically, and cursed loud and long and incoherently. Rowdy drew back his arm with a fist that meant trouble for somebody. But there were others before him who pinned the importunate host to the table where he squirmed unavailingly. Rowdy buttoned up his coat, the while he eyed the group disgustedly. "'I guess we'll drift,' he remarked. "'You don't look good to me, and that's no dream.' "'Aw, oh, stay and warm up,' the fourth man expostulated. "'You don't need to mind Lefebvre. He's drunk.' But Rowdy opened the door decisively, and Miss Conroy, her cheeks like two storm-buffeted poppies, followed him out with dignity, albeit trailing a yard of red and yellow Navajo blanket behind her. Rowdy lifted her into the saddle, tucked her feet carefully under the blanket, and said never a word. "'Mr. Vaughn,' she began hesitatingly, "'this is too bad. You need not have left. I—I I wasn't afraid.' "'I knew you weren't,' conceded Rowdy. "'But it was a hard formation for a woman. "'Are there any more places on this flat marked unavailable?' Miss Conroy replied misanthropically that if there were, they would be sure to find them. They took up their weary wanderings again, while the yellow eye of the window winked after them. They missed Rodway's by a scant hundred yards, and didn't know it because the side of the house next to them had no lighted windows. They traveled in a wide half-circle, and thought they were leaving a straight trail behind them. More than once Rowdy was urged by his aching arm to drop the lead rope and leave Chubb to shift by himself. But habit was strong, and his heart was soft. Then he felt an odd twitching at the lead rope, as if Chubb were minded to rebel against their leadership. Rowdy yanked him into remembrance of his duty, and wondered. Bill Brown's question came insistently to mind. He wondered the more. Two minutes, and the lead rope was sawing against the small of his back again. Rowdy turned Dixie's head and spoke for the first time in an hour. "'My pack-horse seems to have an idea about where he wants to go,' he said. "'I guess we might as well follow him as anybody. He ain't often taken with a rush of brains to the head. And we can't be any worse lost than we are now, can we?' Miss Conroy said no dispiritedly and they swung about and followed Chubb's leadership apathetically. It took Chubb just five minutes to demonstrate that he knew what he was about. When he stopped, it was with his nose against a corral gate. Not content with that, he whinnied, and a new exultant note was in the sound. A deep-voiced dog bayed loudly, and a shrill yelp cut in and clamored for recognition. Miss Conroy gasped. "'It's lying in ski-sticks!' We're at Rodway's, Mr. Vaughn. Rowdy, for the second time, thanked the Lord. But when he was stripping the pack off Chubb's back ten minutes later, he was thinking many things he would not have cared to say out loud. It might be all right, but it sure was strange, he told himself, that Chubb belonged here at Rodway's when Harry Conroy claimed he was an Oregon horse. Rowdy had thought his account against Harry Conroy long enough, but it looked now as though another item must be added to the list. He went in and ate his supper thoughtfully, 
and when he got into bed he did not fall asleep within two minutes as he might be expected to do his last conscious thought was not of stolen horses however it was and she's harry conroy's sister now what do you think of that but all the same she's sure a nice little school mom End of chapter 2